Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. So hi, everyone. This is Mel Rosenberg, the host of the Children's Literature Channel for the New Books Network. And I have the wonderful honor and privilege of hosting a Harold Underdown, who is newly, maybe not so newly, the executive editor at Kane Press. Hi, Harold. Hey, Mel. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Um, I should uh, make a full disclosure that uh, you have been my mentor for the past couple of years. Um, And uh, I think there is nobody in this uh, business of children's literature, if it is a business, that I think more highly of than you. Thank you. Having said that, I may ask you some tough questions today. That's okay. That's okay. And let, let me say in return that you've been a great client to work with because you listen, you push back when you feel you need to, but then you get to work. Okay, um, that's wonderful. Uh, but this show is about you, Harold. So um, you've gone from the, from the management to the players, and now you're back at the management. So how is it to leave the players and go back to the management? Um, I, I'm not sure I want to just completely absorb that metaphor and, and, and go with it. Um, I've, I've been, it's more like I've been on the outside uh, and, and now I'm, I'm back inside. And um, it's definitely a change, but in some ways it's not as much of a change as it could have been because if you look around me, you will see the office that I used to work in when I was working freelance. And I'm still working in this office now that I'm working at Kane Press because the company, like a lot of companies, is still um, basically flexible about employees and whether they're working in the office or not. And I am one of several people who actually haven't really been into the office at all um, for reasons to do with my family and their situation. And I don't know when I will be. So in that sense, you know, nothing's really changed. On the other hand, everything has changed because Instead of, you know, instead of my working with, uh, with writers like yourself, mostly, I mean, I did some work for publishers as well, but most of my work was, was with writers. Instead of working for writers, you know, where I'm, they're hiring me, I am now in a position where I'm making decisions about what I'm going to require. And it's a, you know, it's a completely different scenario because... <clears throat> When you're working as essentially a writing coach in you know a long-term relationship like the one we had or offering feedback on a single manuscript with someone it's really that's completely about um giving people the feedback that they need not only to make a particular manuscript better but so that they can build their skills for the future and it's a completely different mindset when you're acquiring because though you, know, you may have in the back of your mind, 
whether a particular author is someone who you can see working with in the future, um, you have to make a decision for your company. This is the right project for me to sign up right now for Kane Press. And that means, you know, I'm, I'm putting a different set of, I'm putting a different set of filters on. Um, it, it's, it's not centered entirely on the author anymore. It's very much centered on what is best for Kane Press. Now, hopefully, and, and I mean, I think this is the way it should work in publishing. When a publisher signs up a book and publishes it well, that benefits both the publisher and the author and an illustrator if there's one involved. And a good editor doesn't just work with an author, you know, to kind of hone that book for publication. Um, they're hopefully doing a little more than that because they're looking to the future. So that does come in, but as I was saying, it, it really, it's a different, um, it's a different mindset. Okay, but it's exactly what I said. You know, you've gone from the players to the management. Um, it, to what extent are you working? Well, with no, but see, I'd be going from the players to the management if I'd been writing and now mm -hmm. I was publishing. Okay. But it's more like in, in baseball terms, um, I've, been, I've been playing in an independent league, like the, you know, the Atlantic League or something like that. And now I, I'm back <clears> in the system. You're back in the majors. Yeah, but the majors, you see, they, they don't have a, a commitment to local players. They don't have a commitment to the farm team, the minor leagues. Uh, if there's a uh, player who they want from Alaska, they will purchase that player. So um, to that extent. Well, but again, like Major League Baseball, if publishers are smart, they, they don't just play it entirely by the immediate advantage in the next six months. Um, the, I, I believe as a baseball fan that the best major league teams are the ones that actually make a commitment to their farm system and build from their farm system. And similarly in publishing, the publishers that are the, the most successful are the ones that make a commitment to their authors and that build their authors' careers, not just this book, that book right now, and, and we're done. That, that's, that's good to hear because my feeling regarding agents, and I wanted you to talk to me about agents versus authors, is that they aren't looking today to build long-term relationships with authors. They're looking to take particular books that they can sell or they think they can sell, do a rapid turnaround, and then look for other books that they can sell. Am I right uh, or wrong? I, you know... I think you're being a little unfair with agents there, there, Mel. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I, I think that there certainly are agents that operate that way, that, you know, the one book at a time agents, just as there are publishers that operate that way. But I would argue, again, that the best and most successful agents are the ones who, once they've signed somebody up, and when they sign them up, they're thinking, I'm going to be working with this person for the years to come. And it's not just about one book. It's about a career. And it's about helping an author build a career, because if they can help an author be successful, then their earnings and their success as an agent go up. Oh, Harold, I'm glad to be wrong. <laughs> Here's my next question where I want to be wrong. 
Uh, one of my feelings is that agents are looking now for picture book authors who are also illustrators. Mm -hmm. In fact, most of them stipulate that if you don't draw, go elsewhere. Um, now you are now acquiring books. Is, is this mm -hmm. the case? Is there a reason for this? Um, to the extent that that's true, and I, I've heard this said by a lot of people, oh, agents only want author illustrators among picture book, in the picture book field specifically. Mm -hmm. It's not totally um, true, but it's, it's mostly true. I've, um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear that as an editor because I, I get a lot of manuscript only submissions from agents. In fact, when I, you know, when I think back over the past few months at the, at the projects that I've received from agents, um, very few of them, if any, came from an, when an author sending me an author illustrator type project. Um, all the ones that I can think of, well, no, there's one, one exception. Okay. But the majority of them, and I would say more than just the majority, at least three quarters or more, um, are manuscripts. And frankly, I think that's the way editors generally want to see projects because we want to see the best manuscripts. And then we want to pair those up <clears throat> with the right illustrator for that project to do the best work that they can. And it's not always the case that someone who is a good illustrator is also a good writer or someone who's a good writer is also a good illustrator. In fact, that's quite unusual, right? Um, there's some kinds of projects that work well for author illustrators. Um, you will certainly, you know, you'll see picture books that are wordless or have fewer words. There's not as much writing involved. It's more about the art and the design. Um, and there are certainly are people who can write to a professional standard and illustrate to a professional standard. And if those people also happen to be writing manuscripts that suit their illustration style, then that's great. I mean, then you've got a package and you know, I would be open to that. Mm -hmm. But, but there, is, there is some kind of paradox here that we are not I, going to resolve I, I today. The paradox is that agents see, and this is probably a certain group of agents, not, um, not the more established ones. Agents see that if they're working with a picture book author, they're only, they're only getting half of the royalties for a, for a picture book sale. And they're getting probably only a quarter of the advance because picture book illustrators get a larger advance even though they get the same royalty rate than the author does. And so, you know, as far as those agents are concerned, if they're gonna be working on picture books, they wanna get the whole piece. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily selling those projects to editors, at least not to me. Well, <laughs> Maybe okay. to some other editors. Harold, while I have you on the line, and you are the first active uh, editor that uh, I'm having on the uh, on the NBN. Uh, it's a real honor. Um, let's uh, let's do some nuts and bolts here. Okay. Um, what? Give me just a ballpark figure of what an author can receive for a picture book manuscript. Not not what Kane pays, 
just mm -hmm. the general ballpark. Um, I, I would say in, in the industry in general, okay, and for trade publishers, so we're not talking about- Only, only trade publishers. Okay, only trade publishers. Um, from small to large, you're probably get, talking about an advance of starting at the low end, maybe $3,000 and going up to 8,000. Okay, so this is, hold on. So this is, I'm trying to make a point here. So this is the first Michigan aspect of it. You know, and, and many authors, uh, most books don't earn out their advance. So let's say that I'm a, a average. Not true, but it's, not, it's not true. A lot of books earn out their advance just barely. <laughs> okay, let, let's not get Picayune here. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's say that I, I have a $5,000 advance and mm -hmm. I, I end up with $6,000 royalty. Uh -huh. Okay, that means that for all the hard work of the agents, going through thousands of manuscripts a year, picking right. just a handful or, or maybe less than a handful of right. writers, uh, mm -hmm. grooming them, coaxing them, editing them, uh, coddling them, and they sell a manuscript mm -hmm. and 15% of $600, $6,000 is $900 before tax. Right. So this is a real oyve thing. Yeah. So that's why an agent um, A wants to represent an author illustrator, and B wants to represent somebody who's going to be successful in a long career, because the money goes up. You know, if if you have a successful picture book, and it not only earns out, but it goes on to sell well and maybe go into paperback and so on then you can get a larger advance the next time. Okay. And you can also look forward to um, additional income from subsidiary rights. So one picture book could, you know, could, could earn an author between royalties and foreign rights sales and book club sales. You know, it could earn $100,000. Yeah, and that's, that's $15,000 for the agent, right? Yeah, it, it, it could. It could. And that's yeah. the kind of author that the agent wants to eventually, they're not going to be at that level when they sign them up, but they want to help them grow as, a, as an author and get to that point. Okay, so now let's go to Kane Press. So um, you are looking for authors who write primarily nonfiction. No. You're not. Explain, no, I'm please. I'm looking for authors who write both fiction and nonfiction and the fiction needs to have some kind of educational component. So of the manuscripts that I've signed up so far, um, let me just quickly go through this in my head. Um, they're about 50-50 split between fiction and nonfiction. And the, so fiction, the fiction has a nonfiction element in a way to one degree or another. Um, just to, you know, to give you an example, uh, I signed up uh, a project by the author illustrator, I got to admit, uh, R.W. Alley, who's probably best known as the illustrator of the Paddington Bears books. And he does really fun animal characters, basically. Um, and he, he's come up, he came up together with us with an idea for a series called Neighborhood Helpers. And it's about people's jobs that small children might encounter around the neighborhood. 
And so we just decided to start with the obvious like low hanging fruit of firefighters. So the first title is gonna be called Firefighters to the Rescue. And there's a story, but there's also a lot of information embedded in that story about the different equipment that firefighters use, the different vehicles that they drive, the routines that they go through at the firehouse, um, what they do when they're not fighting fires. So it's a story, but it's got nonfiction included in it as well. Okay, that's great. So, so um, this begs my next question. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had this discussion in the past. Um, there are some writers, if you say to them, I want a story about firefighters, mm -hmm. um, they are going to be straitjacketed into writing a story without mind number three, without their childish mind. They're going to be using mind number one, uh, thinking very cognitively, firefighter, firefighter, firefighter. Mm -hmm. um, and um, are there other ki kinds of authors who can write about anything with humor and grace and charm? Is this I, like I, something? I, I don't think that this, this species exists that you're uh, describing. I, I think everybody has their own creative struggles. Um, this just happened to be something that, that kind of like fit in with Bob's particular interests as a, as a writer. Um, he played around with it a lot for, I, I would say he played around with it for a couple of years. This was something that was already being kicked around before I arrived. Um, and we had to, we had to nail it down as something that could work as a series for us. Um, but he, he spent a lot of time and put a lot of creative energy into coming up with ideas, which, which we then very ruthlessly pruned down. Um, if, if, this had, if this had been just fully the, the idea that he originally presented, um, we, we would be publishing a 64 page picture book, which would have been beautiful and funny and full of action, but we don't want to spend that kind of money on a picture book. We want to do a 32 page picture book. And that's what we've been kind of working towards. Okay, so uh, we've touched now on the uh, finances and the um, and the difficulty of finding the author who is writing something that the publisher is interested in. Mm -hmm. Bef before we, we go with that, I want to go back to your, what I call a brief. Uh, you have another name for it. But mm -hmm. um, you came into office, you issued a brief, you know, Kane Press, this is what we're right. looking for. And right. this a is call an, for manuscripts. a call for manuscripts. And mm -hmm. this is an oive call for manuscripts because mm -hmm. it's, it's, you set such a high bar. You know, we need six different story ideas and run us through this and who are the competitors and what is it similar to and uh, what would it look like on a Monday? Um, so and, it's, and no. what, if the, what if the sun is shining? Can who, I just stop you for a second? No. <laughs> who, I don't think it's such a high bar. We, okay. we actually we actually say we want to see series proposals and we gave a very general statement about what we want to see in the proposal we're not laying out let me tell you something if if you've ever done a proposal for a school and library publisher they get very detailed about what they want we're not asking for that level of detail we want okay. to see we want to see 
somebody's idea for a series. Yes, we need to see that you've got more than one idea for a book. There have to be at least a few, maybe not, maybe not six, but at least a few working ideas for books in this series. We need a description of the series. We need to know a little bit about the competition because, you know, you don't publish a series if there's already five series in but, that. But Harold, excuse me for interjecting, yeah. okay? Um, I'm assuming that most of these pitches come from agents. No. They don't. Did you, you asked agents to submit. We do, but we're, you know, we are kind of specific about what we publish. We publish books that are fun and educational and that speak to children. And we see submissions from agents. We also see submissions from published authors. Can you give and me an I, idea of, of what the numbers are? The, uh, I, I, the it's, some of both. it's some of both. I, it, it's not like mostly agents. It's maybe 50-50. And okay, but agents, like a, a hundreds of each category, um, dozens. Not huge thousands. numbers. Not thousands. Not thousands. Not thousands. We get... We, at this point, we're not getting a huge number of submissions. I'm not going to say what we're getting because I don't want to encourage people, frankly. <laughs> I, want people to, I don't want people to send us something that was an idea that they originally had for another publisher. And they think, oh, maybe this will fit in with Kane Press. I, I want to see stuff that people have really looked at Kane Press and they see the kind of publishing we're doing. And they think, oh, I've got an idea that would fit in with this, but that it is something they haven't done before. And it's clearly something that's got potential in the bookstore market as well as in the school and library market. And so I'm going to write up this proposal. And our proposals, to get back to that, our proposals only need to be a couple of pages. Yeah, but Harold, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a point here. Mm -hmm. um, if let's say 60% of your submissions are from authors. Mm -hmm. Authors are supposed to be, their minds are supposed to be pursuing uh, wonderful fiction, nonfiction ideas, sure. stories for kids. And you, you want them to be business people and to go out and look at the markets. Sure. The it's, competition. Yeah, What's going I, on? I do. And actually authors need to do that at any publisher. You know, you, you, if you only live in, your, in the world of writing creatively, um, you'll probably never end up getting published because there is a business side to publishing, okay? Um, even at the highest end trade imprint, you know, like Neil Porter Books at Holiday House or something equally elite at another company, um, these are books that have to be run through a profit and loss statement and the publisher has to know that they're going to make the money back that they invest in them. But Harold, doesn't the publisher know a million times better what the of comps course. what the comps are, what the uh, what the odds sure. are? Why sure. why are you putting this onus on the on the writer to write about things that he or she really doesn't know that much about? Because they need to have some sense of that. Um, because there's no point in writing, for example, um, sharks. Okay, a, a popular topic right? Kids are interested in sharks. Guess what? There's lots of books about sharks already on the market. If you want to write about sharks, go right ahead. But, you know, my question for you would be, are you going to write about sharks and put a lot of effort into 
a really fun six book series that's got some innovative features uh, and not check to see if it's already been done. Because if there's a series that's in some way very like yours on the market already, that's gonna cause significant hesitation on the part of the publisher. So it really behooves an author to have some idea, if you're pub if, especially if you're writing for a publisher like Kane Press that does look at subject matter, okay? Not just creativity, we also look at subject matter. Okay, so Harold, this brings us back to the creativity business issue, okay? Um, I write because I love writing, and mm -hmm. I'm if I I'm going to write about a shark. If I have a bloody idea, uh, that's okay. a good pun about a shark. Yeah. Okay. Right. And I'm I'm not going to write a, a a story about a shark because uh, some I think that some sure. publishers and you should go right ahead. No, but, but you just you're, you're contradicting yourself here. Michael. I'm not. I'm just saying you may not be able to get that published with Kane Press because okay. you'll send us your creative story about sharks. Yeah. And we'll look at it and we'll say, wow, this is really a lot of fun. But there's this book two years ago that was published, published by Algonquin Books for Young Readers that's almost identical. Like, we can't sign this up. Okay, so I... for, for Kane Press, yes, if you want to do a series proposal for Kane Press, there is a little bit of extra work. It's more than you would do for a mainstream trade publisher where they're signing up one book at a time. And it is very heavily about not only your creativity, frankly, but I would actually argue that a lot of people who are writing for that market have a kind of well-honed and by now intuitive sense of what the market wants. And it's actually seeped so deeply into their, into their souls that that intuitive sense of the market is actually being expressed in their creativity. So that's, you know, that's the challenge. Those are the people who are at the top of their game in the market right now. And that's where you want to work towards if you want to be in that, in that ball field, to go if, back if, to that earlier if, metaphor. If you want to be educational. No, not just if you want to be education. Any children's book publishing at all, mm -hmm. it's being published in a market. And yes, you have to be creative, but... It's just like, you know, when you're writing a poem, right? Yeah. But you write, a, you write a poem in a particular form, like a sonnet, and that constrains what you can do with it. Harold, the book, I Want My Hat Back, mm -hmm. candle, Candlewick, right? Yeah. But do you think that the editors there were saying, you know what we really need? No, of course not. But we really need a book <laughs> where the bear they, eats the rabbit. When they got it, they said, oh, this is great. This is going to be really popular. Kids are going to love this. Librarians are going to love this. Parents are going to buy this. Libraries are going to buy this. It's going to sell really well. Okay, but they didn't have like, there wasn't on their shopping list, a book about a, a bear who ends up eating a rabbit. I, I don't have that, a shop. That's, that's, I mean, that's the point I'm trying no, to make. I don't have a shopping list either. Okay. I don't have specific subjects that I'm looking for. I'm okay. just... You know, so when I say I've got a series proposal, when I've got guidelines for, for authors, that, that's for whatever the subject is that they're bringing to me. And they just need to convince me 
that what they've come up with, with their, with their wonderful creativity is gonna work for us. You know? And this is actually a strategic choice that we made when I started working at Kane. Up until I was at Kane, all the series they had published were the, the idea for them originated in-house and then they hired writers on a work for hire basis usually to write books for that series. And we talked about this and we agreed that, you know, maybe there are people who are going to come up with ideas that we haven't had yet if we open up our doors to series proposals. But Harold, so, I think you're doing wonderful stuff. My job is to, um, you know, is to uh, get the most out of this conversation. So out of the, out of the 67 uh, submissions that you've received up until now, it's a few more than that, but okay, let's say it's 67, yeah. Okay, 94 submissions you've received up until now. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to say it's a little less than that. I'm not, but keep oh, okay. going. <laughs> okay, of the 107 submissions you've received up until now, are you a happy camper? Um, I have, I have, so you're asking me to kind of like assess what I've received as submissions so far. It's been a mixed bag and I completely expected that, right? There's a significant number of people who have ignored our guidelines. And I expected that. There are people who like see that we're open for submissions. They don't read the guidelines or they do read the guidelines and they think that they know better. And they either send us a single title or they're not published themselves. And they say, here's my brilliant idea. No, <laughs> um, we're, 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 we're being very specific that we want proposals from published authors or from agents, because we think that the, the experience that you need to have to put together a decent proposal that's going to work for us you're not gonna have that if you're just getting started as a writer. So that's why we have that as our kind of like base level. And the people who are just ignoring that or somehow think it doesn't apply to them, I actually, you know, I've often looked at their manuscripts and yeah, I was right. I didn't really need to look at this. Um, once you get about the level of the people who are ignoring the guidelines, then the next level up are the ones where there's some problem with the writing. And the, the problems with the writing go in one of two directions. There's the ones that just aren't that, aren't that well-written in any of a number of different ways. Um, and then there are the ones that they're well-written, but they fall off in either one direction or the other in terms of our market. That they're either a, a wonderful um, mainstream trade proposal that doesn't have an obvious educational angle to it. Or there's something that's really written for the school and library market and is never going to break out of it in a million years. So, you know, those, those are kind of how the writing falls down. Uh, once you get above that level, then there's the stuff that I have to really seriously consider. And, you know, interestingly, I would say that that's been coming, as I said earlier, as much from authors directly as from agents. Um, I think agents are still learning what we're about. Um, when we first opened up, uh, and, and I saw this with authors as well, um, we got some things in from agents that clearly, you know, they'd been sending them out on submission for a while. And they thought, oh, we might as well try, try Kane Press too since yeah. they've opened up. D dear homeowner. 
Well, not exactly, but you know, they, they were, they were plausible. They were series, but you could tell it was something that had been out for a while. I'm now starting to get partly from the back and forth with some agents and partly from having had conversations with some agents. I'm now starting to get stuff from agents that's better targeted, but that's going to, you know, that's going to take a while. It, and, and frankly, both in terms of authors and agents, I don't think I'm really going to start getting a steady stream of good material until the, the first books that I sign up are published and they see what those look like. That's fair. So it's going to so, take a couple more years. So, so far, this has been wonderful, Harold, because uh, so there is a window of opportunity here for mm -hmm. writers who take their craft very seriously, have done research about the market in which, into which they're writing, have read your call for papers uh, very assiduously, mm -hmm. and who have the ability to cross over between fiction and nonfiction. So that's good news. So Harold and Kane Press are still open for really good submissions. For serious proposals, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's great news. Okay, and this brings us to the other subject, and this is gonna be because uh, this always happens every time we speak, the time goes by and it's, it's crazy. Um, but um, you are also a prolific author uh, for uh, writers in need. Uh, you've written a book for, uh, for, uh, for authors. And as a single human being, I think you have the most free um, help on the web that's available. And you told me the other, you, yeah, you want to mention the names so yeah. people can buy your book and read your website. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Um, the Complete Idiot's Guide to Publishing Children's Books. And the website is the Purple Crayon. And I, I will say about the Purple Crayon that um, not all of the material on it is mine. Some of it was contributed by other people, but yeah. It's mostly yours. And Harold, this is your initiative. And I, I think of all the people in this industry, uh, you are the most giving uh, and the most knowledgeable. And this brings me probably to the last general question. Which, which is something we discussed recently, which is bugging me. And, and that is that the people who need to read your book, mm -hmm. the, the so-called idiots, are the ones who won't read it. The people who need your website are the people who won't go to it mm -hmm. because they think that they are already wonderful writers. Mm -hmm. That was a question. Um. Well, I don't disagree with you. I think um, there's this trajectory that a lot of people go through uh, when, when they're getting started in children's publishing. And I'm speaking, speaking specifically about writers. I think the trajectory for illustrators is a little bit different. Um, people typically come to children's book writing um, not after getting any professional training because there is very little of it in, in college. Um, they come to it uh, as parents or teachers or librarians, people who've had, who've had contact with children and they get an idea for a story and they write it down and they think it's pretty good. And for a lot of people, that's kind of the point that they get to because where do you go from there? And, you know, if they're ambitious, they'll figure out that, oh, there's a way that you can like get published 
by finding an agent or maybe by contacting a publisher directly. And they start doing that with this very first manuscript that they've written. And, you know, frankly, most very first manuscripts just aren't very good. And um, a lot of people fall by the wayside there. And the ones that keep going are the ones that realize, oh, you know, this isn't as easy as I thought it was. I actually need to work on my writing skills because this is a very uh, different kind of writing than I'm used to from the memos that I write at work or, uh, you know, the, even if they're in a, a writing related field, writing an academic article or uh, a piece for a newspaper, it's a completely different mode of writing than writing for children. And it's the folks who realize that and who start getting help with their writing, who are the ones who keep going and who can get to the point where maybe they can get published. And, you know, I, one of the things people need to know is that there's a lot of help available that's either free or not expensive, um, starting with belonging to a critique group or having a critique partner. And the, the value of that is in getting consistent, regular feedback from people you know who care about what they're doing as much as you do. And it doesn't matter that they're not professionals. You can, you can all grow together. I mean, I've actually seen critique groups that started out with four or five or six people who were complete beginners. And they all developed together and maybe not the entire group, but half the group ended up getting published in one way or another. Um, so critique groups are really valuable. Uh, joining the SCBWI, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, is also very valuable. They have um, free resources and a wonderful discussion board online, but they also regularly give conferences and workshops, some of which are free, um, many of which are online and inexpensive. And there's all kinds of offerings at these workshops, everything from writing basics to more advanced topics, um, information about the business, that kind of stuff. And that's really important. Uh, a lot of folks think, oh, I just need to make the right connections. And, and that's one of the reasons why they'll, they'll join an organization like SCBWI is because they, they think, oh, you know, I'll go to a conference and I'll meet an agent and they'll sign me up. That happens, <laughs> but <clears throat> not that often. And really the main benefit from the SCBWI, I think is, is in the workshops. And beyond the SCBWI, depending on, you know, how deeply you wanna get into this. There are other organizations that do give workshops, one of which, for example, I'm involved with the Highlights Foundation. Um, there are MFA programs that you can take courses with, you know, if you really wanna get into it. So there's a whole range of resources available all the way from free to at the MFA and quite expensive. And um, the people who succeed are the ones who get involved in some kind of training and who dedicate themselves to working on their craft 
and not just assuming that their first idea is brilliant. Okay, these are very wise words. Um, I can confess that I thought I was a great writer for about 20 years until I went to an SCBWI meeting in New York. Uh, that was, but what I've learned since then, and, and Harold, you can challenge me, is that the chance of getting published, given that you have to kind of guess what the agent, what the editor wants, and not everybody is as forthcoming as you at Kane Press are about what you're interested in. So you're writing into a void. You don't always know how well you write. Even critique groups sometimes will sugar you up. And uh, even when your writing is really good, uh, that doesn't mean that you will connect with an agent who reads what you've uh, pitched uh, or that you will find the right venue. And um, what I've found is, at least for me, uh, and you correct me on this, um, I, I look at writing for children as a kind of, um, as tennis. You know, um, you, you want to be a really good tennis player or you don't. If you want to be a really good tennis player, it doesn't mean that you're going to get to Wimbledon. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of a, um, it's a hobby where very few people make money at it. Right. Most you of us want to, lose you want, money. You want to be the best tennis player you can be. But that doesn't mean you're, you're only going to play tennis if you, can, if you can do it well enough to become a professional. Exactly. If your goal is just to be published, yeah. 99 times out of 100, you are going to be bitter and upset and blame the world. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think that's a good analogy. Um, it, it, I'm always telling people that if, you know, when people ask me, you know, should I keep going? I always say, if, you, if you're enjoying the process right now, if you feel like you're learning, if you like the people that you're working with, whether that's in a critique group or your local writing group or whatever, um, why not keep going? Because the only way to, you know, yeah, the, the odds for getting published, if you kind of look at them in, in their, their baldest form, they're, they're not great. But, One in a thousand yeah, at best. But the only way you can really guarantee that you're not going to get published is if you quit. Exactly. Exactly. Was, you know, I, I would argue that, you know, th those odds that people talk about are kind of derived from the volume of material that agents and publishers receive in, in the mail. But there's a kind of pyramid in that material, right? In, in a thousand manuscripts being submitted to a publisher or an agent in the period of a month, say, 90% of them kind of disqualify themselves before you've got beyond the first few lines, either because they're completely incorrectly targeted, um, they're really obviously badly written, mm -hmm. or the, the person present, presents themselves in a way that, that puts the, the ed editor or agent off. Harold, I just had a vision. So mm -hmm. we, we've had this discussion. Even at best, your odds are one in a hundred. Right. Okay. And you know what? That's the odds of succeeding as a startup a, um, entrepreneur. Is it? Uh, maybe. And, well, it, it's between one in a thousand and one in a hundred. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. And I tell the young people I teach, yes, become an entrepreneur. Fail 99 times out of a hundred. 
as long as you are growing, as long as you're enjoying the process. Right. And and sometimes it's a very itchy, scratchy process, as we both know. Um, but um, I don't know what I'd be doing without uh, without this uh, hobby, endeavor, or what have you. Having said that, okay, most of the 50 or 60 people that I have interviewed on this podcast mm-hmm. uh, were either in some kind of writing industry mm-hmm. or met somebody. But when they met that somebody at an SCBWI conference or what have you, they had the goods. They had the what to deliver. They had the manuscript. Yeah. It was really good and really ready. Yeah. So in that sense, it is about connections. But it, it if you make a connection and you don't have the goods, it's going to do you no good at all. And That's for sure. really what it's all about is working on what it is that you do that is unique and special. And as you said, you don't know often what an editor or an agent is looking for. Um, even what they've said they look for in something like Manuscript Wishlist doesn't mean that if you've written a story with that subject matter, that, that your story is going to interest them because there's so many other intangibles. Oh, um, did I say I wanted a bio on Winston Churchill? Oh, sorry. Or you say, I want to buy one, buy a manuscript about Winston Churchill. Someone sends a manuscript about Winston Churchill. And either it's like the wrong approach or it's not well written. Or, or, the, wrong, or, the, wrong, or the wrong Winston yeah. Churchill. Or the wrong Winston Churchill. So I've lost, I've lost track of my thread here. But, um, you know, the point is you make your, another way of putting this, you make your luck. Um, it, it can seem like, oh, you know, wow, that person just suddenly was discovered. They, they happened to meet an, uh, uh, an art director at the SCBWI conference yeah. and, and they got lucky. Well, yeah, but you don't know about the five years of work that they've been doing before that, that led up to that. Um, exactly. So. But there's also 99 other people that write really well that don't get a deal. And, that's, and that, my friend, is life. It is, but if you enjoy the process and you're learning, you do it anyways. And exactly. I kind of feel, I feel that way about I feel that way about editing. You know. Yeah. Um, I I spent a long a long time working outside because there wasn't the right opportunity back inside, um, and now there is, and I'm really happy about that. But um, I was still enjoying the process. I was still enjoying the work on the outside. So I kept going. Yeah, no, Harold, this has been a wonderful uh, opportunity to talk to you about editing per se and uh, dig down deep. Um, And uh, it's actually very, very, um, it's an optimistic conversation because despite the odds, there is still opportunity. uh, And if there's opportunity for submissions at Kane Press, there's opportunities elsewhere. For sure. And uh, people, if you're listening to me, do not give up. Keep writing, keep improving. And uh, Harold Underdown, executive editor at Kane Press, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. This is Mel Rosenberg for the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network saying again, thank you to an exemplary guy. Mel, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. This has been a good conversation.
was my greatest. It's great pleasure. We're going to do it again. Okay, for sure. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Mel.